So, over the last month or so, you've been given a glimpse of what I can do. But I want to remind you that when it comes to superpowers, I'm not the only one. They really do walk among us. Hello, this is David. Oh, David's Kenny. How's things going? Hey, Kenny. How are you? Things are good. Good. Get any ice over your direction? Yeah, we've got some ice over here, that's for sure. Uh, how about you guys? Have you fell yet? Yes, I have. Fallen twice. This ain't not good. Yeah, it's been pretty slick out, that's for sure. Hey, yeah. what can I do for you? Well, I'll tell you what. You know I've bought me a new house, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I'm, I've got to move. Got to be out by this Saturday. Uh, no, Chevrolet just broke down on me. It's not, I just can't get it to go. Kind of wondering if I could use your truck uh, Saturday morning. Sure, sure, no problem at all. Uh, tell you what, maybe, can I borrow your trailer too? Oh, shoot, absolutely. Uh, Kenny, no problem at all. Just, I'll hook the truck and trailer up and it'll be ready to go for you. Okay. Uh, I'll tell you what, I, I, uh, I hate to ask you, but I threw my back out the other day. Do you think maybe that you could come uh, give me a hand with it Saturday morning? Oh, sure. I mean, heck, heck yeah, we can do that. that. That should be no problem at all. I can come. Great. Uh, well, I just thought about something. I've got an appointment Saturday morning, and I don't think it'll last very long, but uh, if you could just bring your truck and trailer over to the old house, I'll leave the key under the front doormat. Uh, maybe okay. you could just get started moving, you know? Okay, okay, no, no problem. So you just want us to start loading things? Yeah, yeah. Okay, just get everything loaded up? Yeah, you know, I don't know exactly how long this appointment's going to take. Uh, it, may, it may go until around 6 o'clock or so. Uh, you think maybe if you get the truck loaded and the trailer loaded, you could go ahead and take them over to the new house, and I'll even leave the key under the mat over there for you. <laughs> okay, sure, sure, Kenny. That's, that's no problem at all. So you want us to just... Uh, load stuff at your house and then take it to the new house and uh, get started unloading? Yeah, if you could. Uh, I sure appreciate that. This meeting's going to last, this meeting's going to last, you know, maybe quite a while. And I get pretty weak if I, uh, if I don't eat. There's a Sonic right around the corner from my new house. Do you think maybe you could, you think maybe you could go over there and get me a, a double cheeseburger? Sure, Kenny. No problem. All right. And uh, tell you what, get me some uh, onion rings too. Okay. That'd be good. That'd be good. All right. All right. Well, listen, onion rings and a cheeseburger. Yeah, that'll work. Now that is superpower. Here's what I learned through that. Uh, from now on, any, anything else that uh, we need as a church, uh, Kenny's going to be the one to ask for it. That, that's how it's going to work. In fact, I was just thinking back there, Pam, Forget the auction. I mean, really, we'll just put 
We'll just put Kenny on a phone, and he can start asking for stuff, and it'll be covered, right? No, we appreciate those guys doing that. Um, they did a really good, good job. I, I want to welcome you to um, a series that we've been in for a little while. It's called Superpowers. And we are examining the superpower that is at work in every real follower of Jesus. For those of us who have entrusted our lives to him, we are what the Bible describes as the temple of God. In other words, God doesn't reside in a building anymore. He, he lives within his kids. He lives within his family. And his spirit, that means power like kindness. But there's more. Galatians chapter 5 Verse 22 is where we have been anchored throughout this series. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit, that's the source of the power. He's not just a force. Uh, He's not an it. We're talking about God here. This is is God who dwells within us. The, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And today we have arrived at goodness. Goodness. The Spirit is superpowering goodness in us. And the scriptures state that repetitively. All right? Uh, Let me give you some examples of this. Ephesians chapter 2. A lot of you know Ephesians chapter 2 because it's the place where the Bible just really nails it down. How do we have a relationship with Jesus? It's by grace. Right? It's a gift from God. It's through faith in Jesus, what he has done from us. But what Ephesians goes on to say in verse 10 is, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works. We are created to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We have been set up. He lives within us. He prepares good things for us to do, good things. And then places like Romans, Romans chapter 12, verse 9, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. And I think there's a part of us where we go, okay, yeah, we're talking about God. And and if we're talking about following God, then then we we are definitely talking about good, don't, don't, don't go after that which is evil. You're going to cling to that which is good. But, but the question is, what is good exactly? What is good? The Greek philosophers always talked about the three essentials of life. Truth is what to know. Goodness is what to do. And beauty is what to appreciate. And so when when we think of goodness, we we really are thinking about what we do. We're thinking about ethics. We're thinking about morality. But in our pluralistic, relativistic society, determining what is good sometimes can be difficult because what may be seen as good in your eyes, someone else doesn't see it that way. And who are you to tell me what's good? I can decide that for myself. And really, who is any of us to define what is good? 
Who, who, what authority do we have? I mean, I, I, can, I can use my personal choice. I can use my personal experience. I, I could base it on what I believe. But really, what authority do I have to tell you what's good? And so that leaves us asking when it comes to parenting, when it comes to marriage relationships, when it comes to work, when it comes to church, what is good? And we say, well, that's really just up to everyone to determine on their own. Hmm. There is a very famous line in Scripture. It is the very last verse in the book of Judges. And it's Judges chapter 21, verse 25, that gives us this little line. Everyone did as they saw fit. Anybody ever read that before? Anybody seen that place in Scripture? Everyone did as they saw fit. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Everyone determined good by their own standard. Well, here's, here's something I've discovered. There's a number of people that know this line is in Scripture, but fewer people actually know the story that precedes this statement being made. And today, I want to tell you that story. I want you to know that I'm sort of going to speak in code because it's quite a story. It's not a story that I bet you've ever told your children right before they went to sleep. But I'm going to tell it to you, and you're just going to have to deal with the code. I think you'll understand what, what, I'm, what I'm trying to say, um, but I, I want you to hear what happened there. Keep in mind that God's people, the nation of Israel, is comprised of 12 tribes. So what happens is you've got a man, he is a Levite, that's the tribe that he was a part of, and he is traveling with his concubine. Oh my. What is a concubine? Concubine, porcupine, what are we talking about here, Jeff? Well, a concubine, in biblical times, it, it was a woman who had the legal status of a marriage partner. So the legal status of a wife, but not as much value, and treated more like a servant. Hmm. Boy, that really sounds like a good idea, doesn't it? A man and his concubine are traveling. They cannot reach all the way home, and so they stop at a town called Gibeah, which is in the tribe of Benjamin. They spend the night with uh, someone in the town, and during the night, a group of men surround the house because they want the man who is traveling through town. Now, when I say want, you got me? This is, this is code, you got me? The group of men surround the house because they want the man. And the owner of the household says, no, you cannot do that because he is my guest. I got a better idea. You can have my daughter, and you can have his concubine. What? But that's exactly what happens. And the story is that after abuse throughout the entire night, and we're talking horrific circumstances here, the concubine comes crawling back to the household, literally falling on the doorstep, but no one comes to the door. And the scripture reads this way, 
when the man wakes up the next morning. Seriously? You, 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 you sleep while this is happening to her throughout the night? And then it says his words to her are, get up, let's go. But she is dead. His, his next thought is, this should not happen. And everyone needs to know about this tragedy, this travesty that has happened. Everybody needs to know. Well, that's pretty noble, isn't it? It's good that he got a good night's sleep so that he could put some, some action to making sure that everyone knows what has actually happened. He takes her home and then distributes her in 12 pieces, each piece to a tribe of Israel. Okay, that, that sounds like a really good plan, right? When the leaders of each of the tribes get the word, they gather. They gather, and it's time to decide what are we going to do about this circumstance. The problem is that the, the people of Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin, they will not turn over the men who were responsible. And so the nation goes to war against one of its own tribes, the tribe of Benjamin. And after multiple battles and tens of thousands of deaths, only 600 men from the tribe of Benjamin survive. They flee into the wilderness. The nation of Israel gathers again, but this time they mourn because a tribe has been wiped out. They're saying there's, there's supposed to be 12 tribes, and now, now one of them is gone. How can we restore the tribe? But the problem is these men have to have wives in order to restore the tribe. And at the last meeting, we all made an oath. We all made a promise that we would never give our daughters in marriage to any of the Benjamites. We made the promise. What are we going to do? Solution A. Solution A is at this meeting, one particular area, one particular town didn't show. So they decide to go to that town, wipe out the inhabitants of the town, except for 400 young women. And we'll give those 400 young women to the men of Benjamin in order for the tribe to be restored. Only problem is, how many men did I tell you escaped? 600, that means there's not enough. We need to be fair. We need to do what's right. And so plan B, solution B, there is a festival that is going to happen at Shiloh. And so men of Benjamin, we want you to go hide in the vineyards. And when the young ladies come out during the festival to dance and to celebrate, you can jump out of the vineyards, take one, Go back home. And when their fathers and their brothers get upset over what has happened, we will just say to them, please do this for the sake of the tribe of Benjamin. And please know that you are okay. The oath that you made was that you would not give your daughters in marriage. You didn't give them. They were taken. So all is good. Wow. And then, this is the line that follows that story. Aren't you glad that we don't live in such a world? Right? 
that this is where humanity goes when we determine what is good, when there is no moral absolute, everyone determines what's right in their own eyes, there is a relativism, there's a chaos, an anarchy, a perversion. Aren't you glad that we don't live in such a barbaric day? Did you know that the United Nations estimate that at any time there are some 200 million girls who are no longer in the world because of what is called gendercide. They're not here simply because they are girls. It's rooted in tradition, cultural dynamics, government policies, because sons bring wealth. Sons pass on legacy. Girls are another mouth to feed. And in a broken dowry system, it means that large amounts of land and property and animals have to be paid just in order to get them married. That's today. Say, yeah, but isn't it good that we don't live in such a setting? You mean the kind of setting that in the last 45 years, it is estimated that more than 60 million babies have been aborted in this country alone. 60 million plus. Or, or how about the fact that even in our own city, this thing called human trafficking, it's such a big deal that every year, Kansas City, it, it is usually somewhere in the number three, number four slot of our nation. Because this modern day slavery is so prevalent where we live. If everyone gets to decide for themselves what is right and what is good, then I'm submitting to you that whether it's Israel or India or China or our city, this is how it's lived out. And so I told you that at the beginning so that I could encourage you with these words. What if there is a standard? What if there is a standard? What if there is an absolute? What if God has set in place a way to live that is good and he invites us to live within it? The good news is he has. And that's where I want us to hang out for a little while today. I want you to see the goodness of the God that we just sang about. He superpowers his kids to live in his goodness. Let me show you something. Go back to Romans chapter 12. If you go back to Romans chapter 12, I, I showed you the part of this verse a few minutes ago. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. So here's what he says. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. That's verse 9 of Romans chapter 12. If you skip down a few verses to verse 21 of the same chapter, it makes this statement, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good, right? Now really, if you back up all the way to the beginning of Romans chapter 12, you suddenly realize this is a chapter about goodness. 
I mean, it's a, it's a chapter where Paul wants us to see the goodness of God because it starts with this imagery of you and I climbing on the altar of God, living sacrifices, God, whatever you desire, and a result of that is you and I are able to know the will of God, which is good. And then he just unpacks in this chapter this call, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. And then he wraps it up with this statement, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And what I want you to see today is what's packed in between these two statements. When I read Romans chapter 12, verse 9 through 21, I see a sandwich. That's what I see. And it's a good sandwich. Because we've got good and we've got good, and what's going to happen between verse 10 and verse 20 are just these very practical descriptions of what God says, this is good. And if you will choose to live within this standard of what he determines as good, no matter what culture says, it results in something very good in your life. So, Shall we make a sandwich? Anybody like sandwiches? Sandwich people? Sandwich people? Okay. If you sandwich people, whether you are or not, we're making a sandwich. All right? So, I got the bread. So, this is what I want you to see. It's like chapter, verse 9, love must be sincere, hate what's evil, cling to what is good. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. All right? So, so that's the bread. Right? Some of y'all don't eat bread, the whole carbohydrate thing, but when you read the Bible, this is all about the, the, the cosmic carbohydrate. All right? He is the bread of life. Here we here, I, I want you to see the imagery. We're gonna make a sandwich of goodness. All right? So what's packed in between? Check out verse 10. Verse 10. Be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. Uh, that's, that sounds like a great place to start. Paul's like, here's, here's what I want you to see right out of the gate. When, when God says good, think love. Think love. And you'll know that you sincerely love each other when you honor one another above yourself. In other words, you're going to know if you really love when you're trying to outdo one another in regards to honor. But the way this works is you're not competing for honor. You are competing to honor each other. Now, that sounds pretty straightforward, but come on. We, we are a pretty self-interested people. And, and we, we really do, for the most part, think we're, we're fairly important, aren't we? Otherwise, why would many of us maintain a living autobiography on social media where we pass out vital tidbits of information like, I just saw this cat video, or got a free iced coffee today, and we keep this living autobiography going on social media all under the understanding that people are going to find this worth reading and they are going to click like it. We really do tend to have a very self-interested view of life. 
I think if Paul was writing us today, he would say, I challenge you to outdo each other by liking their photos more than you're trying to get them to like yours. He says, you want to know what's good? Learn to celebrate when something good happens to someone else rather than having to make it about yourself. Love on others through honor. So, here's what I'm doing today. I'm going to let this principle be the sauce, all right? The sauce, the spread, whatever you want to call it. Now, here's, here's, here's my favorite part of doing illustrations for you and trying to give you something to remember. My hope is that from this day forward, when you read Romans chapter 12, you're going to see a sandwich. But my hope beyond that is every time you eat a sandwich, there's a part of you that thinks about Romans chapter 12 and thinks about a God who is good and who has called you to goodness. Now, here's the struggle. When I think of goodness and I think of bread, I think sourdough because I like sourdough bread. And some of you, when I say sourdough, you're like, that's gross, right? And you would tell me. You will send me notes going, if you want good bread, here's what you should have. So here's what I challenge you. Just plug in whatever you like, all right? Whatever I use and whatever I say, you don't like it. You have to make the application in terms of just pick the bread you like, all right? And then you pick the sauce you like, because some of you like sweet sauce, like some sort of spread that's sweet. And some of you like, you would be like, no, I I would pick something that was spicy. That's what I would do. I would pick something that's kind of hot. Who cares? Pick pick what you think is good. And so this is going to be the sauce that goes on the bread. And isn't it true that the sauce can be key. I mean, you get some good bread and butter, sometimes that works, right? You get some good bread and some good jelly, sometimes we can just make that work. Can I tell you that when God's kids start loving one another by honoring each other above themselves, even if there was nothing else to go on the sandwich, that's good. It's good. But we got more. We got more. Let's keep going. Verse 11. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. What does that mean? Well, when it talks about zeal, we're talking about passion. We're talking about, come on, this is about being all in. This is about what has God crafted you to do? What do you love to do? Do that with all your heart as you serve God doing it. So the question is, well, what is that? What, like, how do I know what's good? How, how do I know what I should be doing? Well, he uses this, this, this spiritual fervor, this picture. And for what we've got in the context of what we're studying, we understand this means to be in tune with God's spirit. This means that, that his spirit is the one who gives us direction. That's what the Bible tells us. He gives us guidance. He gives us understanding. He gives us discernment. And you do understand that discernment is not... Should I go to church today or rob a bank today? Discernment is not, should I do good or evil? Discernment is about, am I going to do good or what's almost good? And to be able to discern that which is best, that where he guides, to be passionate. God, give me a passion to serve you here and a willingness to follow you wherever you want to take me. Be passionate in a spirit-led purpose. All right. So when I think passion, 
and I think fervor, I think zeal, I think something like with a bite, right? It's got to have some pop to it. So, like, honestly, my preference is I'd be laying down some peppers right here, all right? I would be laying down some sort of hot peppers. I really would. I chose not to do that today just in case that I put the hot peppers on and then I have the crazy idea to rub my eyes or something, which really could happen, and, and then you would think I'm emotional over the text and I would really be emotional over the peppers, all right? So I do have some onions, and they really are strong, and so we're, we're going to go with some onions, and I'm going to load them up because we're supposed to be passionate. It's supposed to be about, about zeal, and so I'm going to load these up, and some of you on the back row really might be able to smell these eventually because they're, they're fairly strong. Onions, all right? What do they represent for us? It is this passion of a spirit-led purpose. We're building the sandwich. Verse 12. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. That's a whole series right there. We could do a three-week series on that one verse. All right? When the Bible talks about hope, hope is not a hope so in the Bible. Hope is when God speaks it, it is guaranteed. I, I am trusting my hope is in a God whose word is always true. And so there's, there's joy. I can have joy in my life. And, and even in affliction, even when I'm going through struggle, when God is with me, I know that there's always hope. And so I can stand. I can stay patient. I can, I can remain in that. And prayer, that's how, that's how that endurance takes place because I'm connected to the heart of my God and I'm reminded how he loves me. He's with me. His presence changes everything. Rejoice, persevere, pray. That's good. So I'm going to let that be the pickles, all right? I don't put pickles on a sandwich. I don't, but today I am for you because some of y'all like pickles. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put some pickles on the sandwich, and I'm, I'm picking these pickles because pickles are kind of sour, and when you just eat pickles kind of like by themselves, they got kind of this uh, effect to it. But when you put pickles on the right sandwich and you got the right mixture of stuff, then some people walk away going, that, that's good. That really actually makes, makes something good. And so I think that's the context here, seeing how, how this works together, even in affliction. There's joy, there's hope, we pray. Let's keep building. Verse 13, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Does that sound good? Yeah, that's good. To help people who are in need, right? Somebody's got a need and you're able to meet that need, you, you, you share with them. To practice hospitality, right, whether you open your home or, or, or you open your life, it is to be willing to share what you have. It is to be generous. I have noticed that when you go to like a, a buffet or any kind of a, right, where you, where you can eat all you want, you know the thing that they always have plenty of? Lettuce, right? It's like, I hope the dude fills up on lettuce so he won't eat all the, all the other stuff, right? But, but come on, so we're going to let lettuce represent on our sandwich today. It, it, is, it is this call to, to generosity. It is this call to, to not be stingy. It, it is this call to realize that, that they're, they're, we have been blessed, we have been given much, and so we are, we are given good is to say, let us be generous. Did you get it? All right. That's good. That's good. Let's keep going. Verse 14. 
Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Woo! Now that's a bite. We're going to come back to that one because Paul's not finished with this one. I think he mentions it, and then he's going to give us a couple of more ingredients, and then he's going to come back with this one, all right? So we're just going to hold on and come back. Verse 15, 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Seems like a weird combo. Rejoicing, mourning, both are good because both have a proper place. When you are around someone who is grieving because of loss, maybe they've lost someone they love, maybe it's the loss of a dream, the last thing they need to hear is something that will trivialize their pain. Don't do that. Don't give in to just the the need that you feel to say something. Don't. I think of Job when you think of loss, and here's a man who the Bible records his story, lost his family, lost his home, lost his business, he lost everything. And three friends came to visit. And the three friends basically give some advice kind of like this. One said, don't freak out, it'll all pass. One said, just pretend everything's all right. And one said, you must have done something wrong. That's why this is happening. Now, my point is, even if any of those were true, in Job's case, that was, that was, none of those were, were, were accurate. But even if they were, that doesn't mean it's the most helpful thing to say when someone is weeping. Do you know the most helpful thing to do when someone is weeping? Weep. Weep. It's not about some line. It's not about some advice. Weep. It means to feel empathy, which is different than sympathy. Sympathy is to see someone who is in a pit and to go, oh, that's bad. I recognize that's bad and maybe I can throw you a sandwich, to empathize with someone is to be willing to climb in and to simply say, I am with you. And sometimes that simply means you weep when they weep. Now that's kind of hard, right? But I can tell you something that might be harder for some of us And that is to rejoice with those who rejoice. For some of us, to rejoice with those who rejoice might be the more difficult part because here's what's going on. You've been working just as hard as they have, and they got the promotion. You didn't. You you want to be married, but they got married. You want to have kids, but they're actually having kids. You want the recognition. You want the success. You want the church growth. You fill in the blanks. This is what you want, but somebody else is seeing it in a more significant way. Rejoicing with those who rejoice can seem impossible, but I'm telling you not with the Spirit of God who resides in you. It is good for our souls to rejoice when others rejoice. Because the alternative is having your soul eaten up with entitlement or envy. No, God is for you. 
He's for your good because he is good. When you rejoice with others, you are stepping into God's invitation to flourish in his goodness rather than be consumed with bitterness. Empathy. To live with empathy. To demonstrate empathy. You celebrate with them, you mourn with them. I don't have some super spiritual part of this, but it's going to be the cheese, all right? It's going to be the cheese, because you've got to have cheese on the sandwich. I like the cheese. You probably can tell. I like the cheese. And if I'm picking cheese, it's going to be something strong. It's everything I pick. It's going to be something strong. Um, I'm going with the, with the sharp cheddar today, because in my opinion, that's not that strong, but it, at least you can taste it, right? So, so we're going with the, with the sharp cheddar today. What does it represent? It, it represents a demonstration of empathy, I will celebrate with them, I will mourn with them. Let's keep rolling. Verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. But be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. <laughs> Does that sound good? Yeah. Man, he's rolling here. Another way that that phrase can be translated when it, when it says be willing to associate with people of low position, that can also be translated very positively, very pop, uh, uh, possible, willing to do lowly menial work. That you're willing to do the stuff that maybe nobody else wants to do. You're willing to do what everybody else might call menial you see, the absence of a servant's heart will corrupt a leader every time, no matter how skilled a leader might be. Paul says it's good to be humble. It's good to be humble. It's good to be willing to do work that even everybody else thinks is lowly. I think sometimes we are even confused on what is actually menial when it comes to something like the church I, I think sometimes people have a very mixed up view of something like working with children where we see working with children being something that, that we don't see value in and I'm, I'm saying you better check on how Jesus viewed working with children you, you should read again of how Jesus viewed a life that is poured into the life of a child. Sometimes we want to change the world, but we don't want to change diapers. And right here, he's reminding us, no, serve with humility. That's good. So, let's get some tomato on the, anybody like tomato? Tomato. Who's like to take it or leave it? Take it or leave it, people, on tomato. Sometimes, you know, y'all are scared. Y'all are not, y'all are, we're going to put some tomato on there. I'm kind of a take it or leave it thing on the tomato. I like tomato, nothing wrong with tomato, but when there's bacon, what do you need tomato for, right? So it's like, but when it's on there, it's like, oh, that's good. That's, that's good when it all comes together. And I, I think sometimes we kind of take the same approach to humility. All right, verse 17. Verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. 
you're treated badly. The point is don't react with malice or contempt. Certainly, this is not about they steal from you, then you steal from them, right? Or, uh, so it's, but it's also don't gossip, n- no rumors, no silent treatment. There's a way to respond that is good. Verse 18. This is section goes together. Verse 18. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That's consistent with what Jesus called us to. He called us to be peacemakers. But Paul adds this little caveat. He says, look, as far as it depends on you. In other words, sometimes you're going to do everything that you can do, and you will not be able to find peace with someone. And that's really hard for the people pleasers in the crowd to hear. Because we want, we want to settle all those circumstances, but sometimes people prefer conflict. They do. Sometimes people prefer drama. Paul says it's good to have peace with everybody. Do what you can, but sometimes you just got to leave it be. Let's keep going. Verse 19. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Some of y'all are like, I've been looking for this verse my whole life. God will get them. There's a lot in life that I think leads us at moments to just declare, this isn't fair. This isn't fair. And I'm convinced that a part of that is what God puts in us. Now, don't get me wrong. I think sometimes when I use the words, that's not fair, um, I can distort, I can misuse. But it is a God-given mentality to recognize that horrible things done to you It's not fair. It's not right. It's not good. But we trust in a God who promises to make all those things right. And he will avenge evil. He will right all wrongs. He will return for those that he loves. And the sense of injustice that you feel, God feels that too. And I want you to realize all wrongs are going to be paid for in one of two places. They will either be paid for by Jesus on the cross or they are going to be paid for by the person in eternity. But all wrongs done to you will be paid for. God will settle it Therefore, you and I don't. We often think that retribution brings change. No, it's grace that changes things. God didn't change me by paying me back. The change came through his kindness. So we're almost there, verse 20. On the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. Seems appropriate today. If he's hungry, feed him. Give him a sandwich. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. He says, instead of taking vengeance, you you are called to show goodness, right? You are to outdo each other in in love and, and, and good deeds. And God may change that person someday, but what you know is that today God wants to change you. 
And in the meantime, you leave it in his hands. Now, what in the world does this mean, heap burning coals on his head? Isn't that the part you want to know? It's like, whatever that is, that's what I want to see happen to that person. I want some burning coals on their head. So how do I get burning coals on their head? If that's how you're viewing it, you have totally missed the point up until now. This is not about how do you take action in order for burning coals to be placed on someone's head. It's not. Now, there are sometimes this is taught that this image of burning coals on someone's head is like a, a blessing. And you're like, how could that be a blessing? Well, sometimes the illustration is used that in that day, obviously they would cook outside. Many of them would cook in the, in the courtyards or even on their roofs. And, and so as they would cook, um, they would have coals left over. And sometimes a neighbor who was needing to cook something, they, they, they don't have a fire, they would come over and get some coals from their neighbor's, you know, fire pit, we, we would call it, and they would put that on their head and they would walk home with those coals and therefore that's the image of coals on their head. It's this image of blessing. I, I, I've heard that multiple times. I don't think that's what that means. You can search it out. I, I, don't, I don't think from some scholars way smarter than me. I don't, think that's, I don't think that's the context here. I, I don't even know if that's actually what they did back in that day. There are two possible, right, contexts here. Either we're talking about God's blessing on them or we're talking about God's justice on them. And I think this imagery of burning coals is more about God's justice that's going to come. Here's why I think that. Romans chapter 2 Verse 4, this is the same book of Romans. We just got to go back and get it. Here's what he says. Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness? Now, whose kindness? God's kindness. That's who we're talking about. Forbearance and patience. Not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. So God's kindness, his love, it is intended to, to lead you back to him. But watch this. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up, what? Wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Now this seems to be the picture. Our desire our desire is we want to see people turn to Jesus. We want to see people hear the truth of who he is, how he loves. We want to see hearts repent, turn from sin, turn to Jesus, and, ex and experience this life in him. But if they don't, what Romans reflects is that even the very love that we are showing in hoping that someone would see that truth, when it is rejected, it is actually increasing the weight of the wrath that will one day come if they refuse to turn to him. That should not make us go, yes, God's going to get them. That should be the point where our heart breaks. And we realize no, our aim is we will lay down our lives that even our enemies would be saved. We will take whatever criticism. 
we will take whatever hurt. We will lay down our lives for the chance to demonstrate the goodness and the kindness of our God that even our enemies would be saved. To me, and that's the, that is the meat of this text. And so that's where we're going. That's the last piece. And you should know that I'm not going to eat a sandwich that doesn't have meat on it. That's a salad, right? And so we're going to put plenty of it on there so that you can see what we got. All right? And then, verse 21. Back to verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil. This is where we started. But overcome evil with good. Don't let another person's hostility produce hostility in you. If you let another person's sin, I'm saying they did you wrong. They took advantage of you. They lied about you. They did, they did something wrong. If you let that govern your emotions to where your anger becomes sinful, you, you begin to live in misery and depression due to their evil, you are being overcome by evil and your adversary is the victor. And that's how so many people live. They do. I, I, we let our emotions, we let our thoughts, we, we let everything be a reflex to how people treat us. We, we let it be a reflex to what they do to us. And then when we become anger, angry and bitter and discouraged and depressed and we, we take vengeance, then we can simply point at them and go, it's because of them. It's a victim mentality. And Paul says, no. We who are the children of God, when we encounter evil, we don't, re we don't merely respond to evil with evil. We respond to Jesus who responds to evil. Because Jesus is the dominant reality in my life. He is the dominant reality in your life. Therefore, my attitudes, my thoughts, my actions, they are dictated by him. They are not dictated by what is done to me. So does that mean that if you give your enemy a sandwich, they're going to suddenly become your friend? No, it does not mean that. And Paul knows it doesn't mean that. That's the context of this passage. He's saying sometimes you can go as far as you can go. Sometimes you can build the most beautiful sandwich, but they're not, they're not going to go there with you. Jesus, not everybody responded positively to him. Nobody loved more perfectly than him. It means that either way, either through the repentance of your enemy or through the judgment of your enemy, if you will love them, bless those who curse you, do not return evil for evil, do not avenge, you will be the victor. And that is good. So, Man, that's a big old sandwich. Anybody hungry?
Somebody can have this sandwich. I got, I got, I'm going to go build another one. So if somebody really wants the sandwich and you're not afraid of this, which I'm a guy, so probably a guy, you're not afraid of it either. So it, it's here. Um, you can fight over it. You can, you can divide it up. I don't, I don't care. But it, it'll be here after if somebody wants, wants to dig in. That's a lot of sandwich. It's like, what do you do with that? Well, I would encourage you to take it a bite at a time this week. So what needs to first happen to you? Like for you, is it, I need, to, I need to be joyful in hope, Jeff, because I've really been struggling in some things and I don't understand what's going on around me and I just need to be reminded today. I need to be reminded today that God has made promises and those promises are true and I'm gonna, I'm gonna rejoice in the truthfulness of God's promise. Maybe that's where you are today. That's the bite you need to take. Maybe for some of you it's something like rejoicing with those who rejoice. And for some of you, you need to start inside your house it, 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 it may be time that you got to start inside your house or, or maybe to, to serve, right, others above yourself. And, and why would you do that? Because you know how Jesus has served you. I, there are, I believe I counted correctly, there's, there's seven ingredients in this sandwich. You could take one a day this week. I'd encourage you to do that. Roll back through this over the week and just take one a day. One of those verses a day, one of those principles a day. You can eat a sandwich every time you study it if you want to. You can make this. It would be great. And just say, God, what do you need to do? What, what, what needs to happen in me? What needs to change in me? In just a second, I'm going to pray for us. Ask God to help us to do that. And we're going to close. Um, there will be. We'll be over here on the side if anybody today needs some prayer. Maybe you are going through some stuff and you don't need to do that alone. Maybe you're here today and you're asking questions about who Jesus is and how good he's been to you. Um, maybe you got a question. We'd be honored to visit with you. Um, if you're new to Heart of Life, we'd be, just love to meet you. We'll be over here hanging out on the side. So when we're done in just a minute, we, we really would just love to spend some time with you. Before I pray, I want to show you just a few seconds of a clip. It is an interview that is being conducted about what is goodness. What does it mean to be good? What is goodness? And it's an interview that's happening with kids. And I want you to just see one of them. And then I'm going to pray us out of here. All right? Watch this. How do you think you could be an even better person? I really want to do more things to help the world, but... Piano, Hebrew school, two days. Oh my um, gosh. Acting classes. Too busy to help piano. the world. Too busy to help the world, though. Like, I'm waiting till I grow up. I'm waiting till I grow up. I'm too busy, and I'm waiting till I grow up. And when I saw that this week, I'm like, where did she learn that? And so I just want to remind you, this week, there will be many good things that you could do. One of the best things you could do is out of this list of what you've read, choose to act in such a way in the lives of somebody else around you 
where God's goodness is seen. But as you're doing that, bring your kids with you. Bring your grandkids with you. I promise you, it is not menial. When you invest in the life of a kid, it is not menial. It is good. I love you guys, and I thank you for making the effort to get out today and to listen. I will pray for you to have a fantastic, dangerous week for the kingdom of God. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word today. And I pray that um, maybe in the, the, the silliness of um, the imagery of a sandwich, there would be something, God, that you could use to help some of that um, stay with us a little bit. God, something of that imagery that we can remember and that we can hold on to. God, for your kids this week, we hear the word good and we know that you're good. And we know that we're called to do good. And yet, if we're really honest, we really are just like that, that little girl. God, the enemy is that we're busy. And we're waiting for some day that for some of us, we certainly are not guaranteed. So God, I'm just praying that you give us an intentionality this week. God, for friendships, for husbands and wives, for parents and children, God, inside households, God, outside of households and work settings and school settings, this week may your goodness be empowered through your kids. God, there are some folks in this room, folks hearing my voice, that they're going through some tough stuff. They have been treated wrongly. I'm asking you to help them to rest in the truth of what you have declared today and that you would empower them to act as you call them to act. May they know the freedom. May they know the joy. May they know the peace of trusting you in all those things. It's in the name of Jesus that we ask it.